Well, good morning again. So a couple weeks ago, I watched a documentary called Breaking Two. It's about an attempt to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon. And it featured this guy, Elliot Kipchoge. Now, there's a reason why the two-hour barrier had never been broken before. To break two hours in the marathon, you've got to run a long way really, really fast. There's a local freshman phenom named Elliot who runs for Moundsview. In the state finals last year, as an eighth grader, Elliot ran four minutes and 28 seconds for the 1600 meters. To break two hours in the marathon, Elliot would have to run roughly that pace, but not for one mile, for 26.2 miles. All right, if, you're, if that's still not registering, let me put it this way. Let's say that you lived in Moundsview and the Albertville outlet malls opened up. You heard that they opened up. So you throw on your mask, you hop in your car. It's going to take you, even with the freeway, it's going to take you about 30 minutes to get there. Here's how fast Elliot would have to run to break two. He would have to run as fourth as fast as your car for that whole distance without taking a break. That's why it hasn't been broken so far. Well, in the documentary, they gave us a look behind the scenes of all that went into that attempt to break two because it wasn't about just one person. Nike sponsored that attempt and they did their best to get their best designers to design these special shoes. And they had their people research what's the best training, what's the best temperature, what's the best elevation, what are the best conditions, and they waited just for that right moment. They recruited a team of world-class runners, and what they would do is they would constantly sub in ahead of Elliot so that he would have the perfect drafting conditions, the least wind resistance throughout his, uh, his time trial there. And they even had this pace car. That was pretty cool. This pace car had these laser beams that shot out the back onto the road so they knew exactly where they should be positioned and exactly how fast they should be going. And on that attempt to break two, they came close. They came really close. He finished, he crossed that line in two hours, zero minutes and 25 seconds. And when they interviewed him later, he said this, he said, the world is now just 25 seconds away. Did you catch that? Elliot had just run the fastest marathon in history, but one, he realized he didn't do it alone. And two, he realized this was bigger than him. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Life is better when you're part of something bigger. We're nearing the end of a series that we're calling our new kingdom normal. It is a series about learning and growing through this pandemic. Today, we're gonna to remind one another that Jesus of Nazareth invites us into something bigger. Now, if you're new to ECC, that kind of missional thinking, this is in our DNA. In fact, you see that cross behind me, that cross that's been there for most of our, our messages. It was made by a young man named Ramundo. And Ramundo, when he was a teenager living in Juarez, Mexico, he was targeted by one of the cartels. And as a result, after a long story here, he he became part of the ECC family. We welcomed into him into our family. And over the last few years, we have as a church family pressed into immigration and trafficking and homelessness and blessing our neighbors. This summer, 
We're in the process of developing a new task force to help us better support the elderly. This fall, we're going to devote a series to issues surrounding adoption and fostering and the sanctity of life. Missional thinking, it's in our DNA. And as I was praying about, okay, this week, which scripture out of all these great scriptures we could choose from, which scripture do we take to dive into this morning? I felt led to a passage that I've never connected to outreach before. And that's because it's a parable that Jesus told about a banquet. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to start here with verse 1. Here's how the chapter opens up. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. All right, let's talk about this. Luke, Luke includes more about meals than any of the other gospel writers. When, oh, and, and here's a question for you. When was this meal taking place? It was taking place during the Sabbath. And who was hosting this meal? It was a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, Sabbath meals were considered extra special, and it was considered especially virtuous to invite a prominent teacher to join you. This particular Sabbath meal was hosted by an influential Pharisee, and I'd like to point something out here. One of the things that I've heard so many people say over the last couple of years is something to the effect of, hey, when Jesus walked the earth, who did he spend time with? And then before you even get a chance to answer, they answer the question for you. They say he would spend time with the poor and the sinner and the marginalized. Okay, did Jesus spend time with the poor and the sinner and the marginalized? Yes, absolutely. But who else did Jesus interact with? Jesus also interacted with the wealthy, the religious, and the influential. And when Jesus noticed that the wealthy, the religious, and the influential at this particular banquet were choosing places of honor for themselves, Jesus seized a teachable moment. And he ended that teachable moment with this. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay. So right after that, right after humbling these people who were exalting themselves, Jesus said this to the influential Pharisee host, who, by the way, had just invited his friends and relatives and rich neighbors to this dinner. These are verses 12 through 14. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. All right. As it is today, it was considered virtuous back in that time and in that place to help those who were hungry. But Jesus, did you notice this? He didn't stop with, okay, let's bring takeout to them. What did Jesus do? He invited those folks to invite those other folks to the banquet. And this is so important. To invite them not as some kind of project, but as a brother or as a sister. I couldn't agree more 
with this quote by C.S. Lewis. The proper aim of giving is to put the recipient in a state where he no longer needs our gift. All right. At this point, after now Jesus has said these things, people had to be feeling some tension here. So somebody spoke up and said this. This is out of verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table heard Jesus say these things, he said to him, I can just picture him raising a a glass, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's unpack that a little bit here. Several of the commentaries I looked at, they said this appears to be somebody seeing all this tension and saying, uh, let's get this back to a happy place. That's what it seems to be to many of these scholars. So the guy raises a glass. He says, hey, can't we all at least agree how great it is going to be when God rules this land once again and all of us are sitting down to that feast together to celebrate Now, the religious people of Jesus' day, they were looking forward to the greatest of great feasts. It's a feast that's described in places like Isaiah 25, 6, which says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-defined. Was Jesus familiar with passages like those? He wasn't just familiar. He understood his part in the fulfillment of those prophecies. And when dude says, hey, won't it be great to feast at that table? Jesus says, yeah, about that. Let me tell you a story. And then Jesus begins this parable, picking back up at our text, chapter 14, verse, uh, let's go verses 16 through 17. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Let's unpack this a little bit here too. As parables do, this parable has a point. And the point will be so much richer if we press deeper into this analogy first before we get to the point. So let's do that. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Jesus compared his invitation to a great banquet. In this parable he's about to tell, he he compares his invitation to a great banquet. Now, you can take any analogy too far, but I've learned that when the analogy comes from Jesus, you can press pretty deeply into that analogy. So let's do that. Let's start with this. Let's press into the parable. Salt and baking soda alone don't create the fresh bread experience. Can I get an amen from somebody on this? All right, fresh homemade bread, it is hard to beat. So hard to beat. It, the smell, the texture, the taste, I mean, it is an experience. Fresh bread is an experience. Well, what if, what if you were observing and you saw somebody, they just took a little bit of salt, they took a little bit of baking soda, and they popped that in their mouth, and they called that fresh bread. Or, or what if they took that and they threw it in some warm water with some yeast and they, they, they drank it and said, that's fresh bread. If this is fresh bread, I'm not into fresh bread. And they walk away thinking that they've tried fresh bread and it wasn't for them. People do this with Christianity all the time, don't they? Truth without grace or grace without truth. 
Faith without works, works without faith. Relationships without rules, rules without relationship. The Old Testament without the new, the new without the old. Spirit without scripture, scripture without spirit. Jesus invites us into a new way of living where we invite his spirit to come in us and to change us and to lead us and to guide us and to work through us where we learn rhythms that renew our bodies and renew our minds and renew our strength, where we develop rich, real connections with other people, where we don't have to stress the way the world stresses about money because we've learned what it means to steward well and because we've learned how to be content in all the circumstances that God is leading us through, not necessarily the messes we get ourselves into. And... We know that we're just passing through this life. And ultimately, even the best of what we experience here is a foretaste of the feast to come. This, my friends, is what we're invited into. That's the banquet. And it's not just the bread experience, as good as that is. The bread experience is just one part of the bigger banquet experience. Who would say no to that? All right, let's go back to our text. We'll see who would say no to that. Verses 18 through 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to Jesus, or the first said to him, the person throwing the banquet, uh, I bought a field, or the servant who was telling about the banquet, I bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, of oxen, five yoke of oxen, and I will go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So everyone's got excuses. And several commentators reference that these excuses don't hold up well when you dig a little deeper. For example, who buys a field without first checking to see if that field can actually grow stuff in it? But there's more going on here than that. In that time and in that place, when someone was going to offer a huge banquet, there was a two-part invitation Part one came way in advance. It was like a save the date deal. They'd say, hey, my big banquet is coming. Are you in? That was part one. And then you'd, just, you'd say yes or no. And then when everything was ready, when that banquet was ready to go, the person who was hosting the banquet would send out his servants and the servants would say, everything is ready. Please come and enjoy. Saying yes to the invitation and then rejecting it later when it was time, that was something you just didn't do. It spoke to your integrity as a person and it fell closer to a betrayal of trust or a lack of decency than, hey, oh, hey, something came up. Later this summer, after our Exodus series, which we're going to start talking about soon, we're going to, have, uh, we're going to look at politics through a biblical lens. And I had a number of people recommend this book. It's by Eugene Cho. Um, it's called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. If you want to do some good reading about uh, politics from a Christian perspective, I'm only four chapters in. So far, he's doing a fantastic job. Well, here's a question that he asks in his, in his book. Um, and it's this. He says, are we more in love with the idea of following Jesus than actually following Jesus? The section that we're just reading, do you know what that flows into? It flows directly into Jesus saying, if anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. 
Jesus went the extra mile to place this parable that we've been reading in its context. The context was a gathering of religious people who were expecting reservations at the table. But yet they had said yes to that invitation, but here they were neglecting what God had been teaching in the beginning about being salt and light to the world. I'd invite you to write this down too. Is our yes really a yes? To say yes to Jesus is a yes to all proposition. Two great questions to talk about over lunch this afternoon or to talk about with your small church later this week are these. Number one, what about the Christian faith is easiest for you to say yes to? Number two, what about the Christian faith is hardest to say yes to? All right, let's go back to our text. Verses 21 through 24, we're getting close to the end of this parable. So, in fact, this will take us to the end of the parable. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house was angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. There's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. One of the things that we've referenced over and over and over again throughout this series is that 2019 wasn't all that. People keep saying they want things to go back to normal. The old normal wasn't as great as we remember it being. Anxiety, depression, debt, loneliness, they were all at record levels and they were climbing. Our nation was becoming more and more polarized and divided and quicker to cancel than they were to listen. And let's be honest, most professing Christians, at least in the U.S., were making a whole lot of excuses when it came to why they weren't following truly in the way of Jesus. As those who've been invited to the banquet Here's my challenge for all of us. Let's think and act like restaurateurs. Restaurateurs, you can look up the pronunciation. Like people who own restaurants. How's that? In Jesus' parable, the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and to the hedges. And what did he say? Compel people to come in. The Greek word translated here as compel means compel. It's a well-translated word and it's a strong word. As we reach out to those whose foundations have been shaken, are we inviting them into something compelling or are we just giving them the baking soda and the flour? A few weeks ago, I was picking up takeout from one of my favorite local lunch spots and the owner was out there in the, in the lot he and a couple of his cooks, they were doing their absolute best to offer takeout, but it was killing him to not be able to offer the full experience. Consider how much more we have to offer. On March 15th, we started meet, meeting virtually. This summer, we've got a choice to make. Will we be one site offering takeout? Or are we going to be several sites offering more? It's going to be months at best 
before all of us could meet together under one roof. And the significance of this summer is hard to overstate. If we just settle for streaming, we're going to go backwards to a consumer approach to church that has already been trending the wrong way for a long time. What if, what if during this stretch, each of us begins to think more missionally when it comes to modeling the way of Jesus as we're out on the highways and out by the hedges? And what if during this stretch, each of us also becomes more engaged when it comes to contributing even more to a compelling community that we can invite people into. Life is better when you're part of something bigger. This summer, let's all recommit to experiencing that full banquet, the full banquet, not just the, the takeout. Let's experience the full banquet as best we can that we're invited into. And let's make sure we're making it possible for others to experience it with us. If you missed the welcome and the announcements, when we're done, go back and listen to them. Because we're going to talk, we talked then about some specific things that we're, we're working on for this summer and how you can be part of moving forward with us out of take out only mode. We need to do this because there's a world that needs us to. Let me close with this true story. I was at a meeting with other pastors this winter and a pastor named Mauricio, he shared the story about a woman who was about to give up on God. Life was hard for this Latina woman. Her, her job as a waitress was barely enough to pay the bills. Things were stressful at home and she had just learned that she had cancer. But one day she was working at the restaurant and, and she was about at her lowest point yet. And then someone did this. They left an extra large tip and they wrote the words, God bless you. And there's something about that that made her say, you know, maybe I need to give God another chance. Well, how do I do that? And so God led her to Mauricio's church, Destino. And she decided to give God one more try. Well, I visited Destino and it is the real deal. These are real people, they're doing real life, and they're inviting, and I should say it this way, they're doing it under the leadership and guidance and with the presence of a very real God. This woman was welcomed into a loving, supporting family. She discovered what does it mean to actually experience the presence and power of God in your life, and, and she said, yes, I'm in to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, she started praying with some of her new Destino friends and God healed her of cancer. Let's not be satisfied with streaming this summer. Let's figure out how can we do this? How can we actually be inviting people safely, responsibly into real authentic community? Life is better when you're part of something bigger. If you're a regular, start praying about how you can help us help people find new life. And if you're one of those folks who's looking for new life, I want to invite you to keep reading. Pick up where we left off. Go from Luke 14 to Luke 15. 
I'll give you a quick spoiler. Here's what you're going to find in Luke 15. You're going to find three back-to-back-to-back parables told by Jesus himself, and in every one of those parables, something of great value is lost, something of great value is found, and there's great celebration. And in that last of the three parables, there is a father who throws a banquet in honor of this event. That's how God feels about you. And we would be honored to help you learn more about this God and to do the best we can to help you experience what the Bible is talking about when it says this, Psalms 38, 4, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Here at Emmanuel, we're committed to doing the best we can to figure out how we experience that together this summer. Well, it's time to seal this service with a song. But before we do, let's give God our full yes as we go into this week. Sunday is the first day of the week um, in the Bible. And so we've begun now transitioning back to something we used to do. And that is on this day, the first day of the week of offering ourselves and our gifts to God, all of them, as we begin this new week. So please pray this prayer with me. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made for the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.